keeping democracy alive with Bert Cohen. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans themselves. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're really seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shootings, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. And here we are in the time of Hanukkah and Christmas, and there's a lot of history that is involved with both, which, of course, most of us are unfamiliar with. Well, I'm very pleased and honored to have with us on the show today Rabbi Michael Lerner, editor of Tikkun Magazine, which if you haven't seen it, it's real impressive. He is chair also of the Network of Spiritual Progressives. You know, for a long time we've heard about the religious right, but this is the Network of Spiritual Progressives. Check that out as well. And he's also author of 11 books, including the newly released Embracing Israel slash Palestine. He calls for us to get back to the real meaning of Christmas and Hanukkah. We hear that every year, you know, too much commercialism, everybody's buying uh, so much stuff. And some people, uh, the uh, right-wing Christians, uh, talk about that the Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus, who was born, of course, in April. And the holiday certainly existed before, well before Christianity, well before the birth of Jesus. And both Hanukkah and Christmas share some roots in paganism, bringing back the light on the darkest day of the year. But uh, Rabbi Lerner, again, thanks for being with us. You say that both Hanukkah and Christmas share political anti-imperialist origins. I wonder if you could explain that a little bit. Well, Hanukkah is the story of a guerrilla struggle on the part of the uh, Jewish peasantry against the um, imperial power of, um, of Greece after Alexander the Great had conquered uh, most of the Mediterranean world and beyond and had subjugated uh, Judea. And um, uh, after some time, they, um, the successors to Alexander had um, uh, imposed a, um, a rule over Judea and forbidden Jews to uh, observe their religion and uh, had imposed upon them the culture of Greece. It was called Hellenism. And um, so the um, Jewish masses, um, participated in a guerrilla struggle against the imperial power of um, of Greece, as manifested through um, Syria, which was the nearest uh, part of the empire um, that was uh, uh, um, a um, manifestation of Hellenistic culture. And uh, over the course of several years, the tiny little group of uh, fighters, the guerrilla army 
that had no serious uh, weapons or uh, um, any of the advanced technology that Greece had at its disposal, uh, and that the Greek Empire had at its disposal, um, was able to defeat the much larger and much more powerful force of um, of the imperialists. So um, the celebra- So there was a celebration that we called Hanukkah, the rededication of the temple, um, and um, but the rabbis later um, decided that there was a, uh, a danger of this holiday being turned into a merely militarist victory, um, celebrating military power, even though it's a military power of, um, of a guerrilla force. So what they did was to transform the holiday by t- talking about it as a holiday to celebrate God's role in making uh, making this victory possible, and um, since I and uh, uh, in my book Jewish Renewal and in Tikkun Magazine, which is spelled T I K K U N, you can find it on the web at tikkun.org, T I K K U N dot org. In Tikkun Magazine, we see God as the force of healing and transformation in the universe, the force that makes possible the transformation from that which is to that which ought to be. And whatever it is in the universe that makes that possible, that's what God is. And um, so recognizing God as the force of healing and transformation in the universe, then we can say that the miracle is that people who according to the Bible, are created in God's image, which, what that means is, is that uh, we are created with the ability to participate with God in the healing and transformation of the world, that we, have, we are God's agents for doing that. That's what I think it means to say that we're created in God's image. So given that capacity to um, heal and transform, then when God energy manifests in the world, through human beings acting as healers and transformers of the world, not accepting reality as it is, but struggling to overcome it, that's when God, God is manifested. So I'm with the rabbis in, in saying this isn't a military victory that we're celebrating. We're celebrating the victory of human beings being able to embody the force of God, and so God gets manifested in the world. And that's what Christmas is also about. Um, uh, uh, from my perspective, the, um, what Christmas is celebrating is the, anti, um, the, the anti-imperial struggle that um, Jesus embodied against, um, against Rome. Rome was dominating Judea. Rome, uh, this was, uh, Rome became the successor to the Hellenists, the Greeks. And um, Rome was dominating um, uh, Judea. And, uh, in fact, um, Jesus' parents had to leave, their, um, leave where they were living in Nazareth and go down to Bethlehem to register to pay the taxes um, that, the, um, that, that the Romans were imposing. And, of course, those taxes were imperialist taxes. So why, are, why are Jews paying taxes to Rome? The answer, because there's an, the imperialists, had dominated, the Roman imperialists were dominating Judea and imposing uh, confiscatory levels of taxes, heavy, mm. heavy, heavy burden taxes 
on the on the Jewish peasantry, and um, and so um, Jesus's family goes down to uh, uh, the south and um, and doesn't have the means to stay stay in a uh, fancy place. Instead, right. um, they, they say there's no room in the inn. Mm-hmm. What that s- symbolizes is, okay, these are a homeless couple. Where do they end up? They end up in a barn with animals surrounding them to give birth to the baby Jesus. So it's a beautiful symbol of the homeless, the homeless person being the one from whom the Messiah will spring. And that the message there is that... Um, it is possible to challenge the rule of the imperial power, and Jesus becomes the symbol of that and starts a mass movement in his, uh, by the time he's 30, he's generating tremendous support amongst Jews, because, of course, the early Christians were all Jews, um, amongst Jews who are uh, sick and tired of Roman rule, and want a, a a way to transform this society, and Jesus comes along as the symbol of that transformation and builds a movement to challenge Rome and to challenge those Jews who were cooperating with Rome, namely the ones uh, who were running the temple and who were um, on the side of Rome in uh, siding with Rome against the rest of their own people. So both of these holidays are holidays that celebrate the embodiment of God's Spirit in human beings as human beings are able to recognize that the way reality is structured is not fixed, that the world can be fundamentally changed, the world can be healed, the world can be repaired, and that our task is to do that. The Hebrew word for healing, transformation, and repair is tikkun, T-I-K-K-U-N, and that's why we named our magazine Tikkun Magazine. We are talking with Rabbi Michael Lerner, who is editor of Tikkun Magazine, about the uh, real meanings of Christmas. I mean, everybody likes to read into it. We, it's interesting. We see that, uh, you know, there are these statues of Joseph and Mary at the manger everywhere. Uh, there are a lot of places where, you know, there's there's a conflict between government and religion where you know, religious people want to put sometimes uh, the Joseph and Mary scene at, with the baby in the manger on uh, on city steps, uh, and it's interesting how it's fascinating to me, really, how the the religious right uh, seems to uh, have taken hold of that somehow and used it for their purposes. Which I last time I checked, the religious right was not exactly anti-imperialist and you know for government policies to help the homeless. Well, um, you know, we've had these distortions in religious communities throughout um, throughout history. Um, they're the same distortions that exist on non-religious communities. And that is right. the distortion between the part of people that um, that is genuinely caring for others and the part of people mm-hmm. that is fearful and um, seeks domination and control of others and doesn't see ourselves as fundamentally related to the other. So um, this split is not particular to religion. It's because um, if you look at the United States, where amongst non-religious people, um, the same split exists. And it it exists in each, each one of us. Part of us 
that really believes that the world could be based on love and kindness and generosity, and another part that says, ah, that's unrealistic, naive, foolish, childish to believe such things, and everybody is just out for themselves, and so I'd better be out for myself, otherwise I'll be seen as a fool, and and I will uh, um, be taken advantage of by others. This struggle inside everybody is, is a struggle that goes on also inside religious people. Wow. And so uh, the part of religion that calls for us to care for other people um, will sometimes, in some people, get subverted by the other part that says, I can't care for other people because other people are out to take advantage of me, and um, I'll just get ripped off if I care for other people, so I've got to protect myself. And so you get two different strands in religion, just as you get two different strands in every other aspect of life or every other kind of belief system. Um, and the strand that right now is dominating in the, um, is the religious right in this country. Um, in fact, I wrote a book about this called The Left Hand of God Taking Back Our Country from the Religious Right. The Left Hand of God Taking Back Our Country from the Religious Right. And that book was all about trying to describe how this, how this happens and what we could do to struggle to change that dynamic. But um, it's a dynamic that can't be blamed on religion, but it manifests in religion as it manifests in every other part right. of the society. It's rooted in the triumph in our economy right. of an ethos of selfishness and materialism, uh, and that ethos of selfishness and materialism that ethos of looking out for number one mm. is um, it, it has become the dominant ethos of the society. So it's become the dominant ethos in many religious communities as well. Well, certainly throughout uh, a lot of history, there has been the assumption that there is scarcity. There's not enough to go around. I got to get mine. I got to fight for mine. And it's kind of assumed to be a law of nature. And I would think, uh, you know, with the idea of how things could be, asking for what isn't, but what what could be, it would have to be, I would think, more of a, you know what, I don't have to fear the other. We know how powerful fear of the other is. It's created some of the worst crimes against humanity in in the history of humanity. But the idea that, that maybe, maybe someday... We don't have to have scarcity. We don't have to be reduced to uh, at least an old image of the laws of a jungle, which, frankly, I'm not sure they even apply in the jungle, to be perfectly honest. But but the idea that maybe there could be more and that, you know, other people like Joseph and Mary at the manger, they deserve a place at the end, perhaps. So I wonder if and I'm reminded, I got to tell you, Rabbi Lerner, there's one of my favorite political quotes of all time is from the 1968 French student uprising when there was a lot of graffiti, very thoughtful graffiti, on the streets of Paris. And it's similar to the fantasy about wonderful, impossible things. This quote is, be realistic, demand the impossible. And and it reminds me of the quote you say about the hidden message of Hanukkah and Christmas. Uh, Don't be realistic, transform reality into God's most loving vision for our world. How can this be done without affecting economic injustice? Um, well, no, that can't be done without changing, uh, changing the world in some fundamental ways, and economic justice is a 
central part of that. That's why um, really to be a person today living in um, the spirit of God and taking God seriously me, uh, requires that one be a person committed to um, the goals of the Occupy movement, which are to end the class struggle of the 1% against the 99% and uh, to uh, to uh, seek uh, a higher, much greater level of equality, of fairness, of um, of generosity, of caring for each other in the society, and uh, that caring has to be manifested not simply in our hearts, but also in our economic and political system. Right. So you know, certainly at Christmas time. I get barraged with requests for donations to a whole bunch of good causes. And it does seem that Christmas is the time. It's also the end of the year for uh, tax purposes as well. So that's part of it. But, you know, the people give money and they don't feel guilty about having a lot of money. They give to various causes. Whew, now I've done my part. But that leaves the uh, the 99 percent versus the 1 percent in place. And, you know, giving to charity at one time a year, uh, I, I don't know how, how Jesus and the people uh, that, that made Hanukkah, the spirit of Hanukkah, would feel about that. Is that enough? And, and it seems like that's what Christmas has largely become. You know, you get a lot of presents, you give a lot of presents, you, you create a lot of landfill, Lord knows on that. But also, uh, you know, you give a little bit to charity now and then and you don't feel guilty anymore. I, I certainly agree with you, and um, uh, that's why we've called for. Um, I, I wrote in uh, Tikkun and um, um, and in uh, on the Huffington Post and in other places. I've written an article uh, that calls for people to stop giving material gifts on um, on the holiday, or at least to reduce the amount of gifts that you're giving, and instead give gifts of time, a gift of material thing says that, here, this material thing is the indication of, of that I care for you because I'm spending some money. Of course, that immediately leads to inequality between people because some people have a lot more money that they can spend right. on, on gifts and others have less. And so um, the ones who have more sound like they're more generous, but that's not really fair because... <laughs> The reason why they can be more generous is because they have a lot more money. Um, what would be, but what is fair, because everybody has this to give, is time. And so um, I've been suggesting to people that instead of gifts of money or material things that money can buy, that we offer to our friends a, a certain amount of our time to help them do something that they need help in. Now, of course, you have to know what your friends need help in. But, um, for example, you can give time. You can give them a gift of um, five hours of my time to babysit your children, or to take them to the take them to a uh, museum, or to take them to the zoo, or to take them skiing, or to take them whatever. Um, uh, or I can give you five hours of my time to help you, uh, one day you can go out and I'll, I'll work on cleaning your house, or one day I'll mow your lawn, or I'll shovel your snow, or I'll, mm -hmm. um, or I'll uh, 
in, uh, help you with some skill that I have. Let's say I know how to do carpentry, and uh, I see something in your house that might need that. Or let's say I know how to do plumbing. I'll help you help you with any plumbing problems you have. Or uh, let's say I'm I know how to paint. I'll teach your kids, or I'll teach you how to paint um, uh, some beautiful picture. Or I'll I'll show you how to work a computer or aspects yeah. of the computer that you don't know about. I'll mm. teach you how to do that. Or whatever it is that you can offer in the way of your time uh, to another person. Um, uh, I, I, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll cook you a meal, <laughs> you know, or I cook three nights of, of the, of the week this next week, I'm going to cook your meal. So you don't have to worry about that. That's some big stuff there. And the American economy, you know, that, that retailers, I mean, let's face it, you know, we're all trying to, uh, think globally and act locally buy local, which is a good thing to do too. And it's still, the American economy is so dependent on this current uh, uh, formulation of what we call Christmas and Hanukkah, that what you're talking about is pretty radical stuff. I mean, it really is. Buying less stuff, the economy is so dependent on. What about, you know, participating, as you say, you know, the the Occupy Wall Street movements, you know, not just uh, giving uh, to charities and things like that, throwing a few coins into the uh, Salvation Army pot, although I've heard they discriminate against homosexuals, which I think is most unfortunate, but uh, actually participating in making change, making systemic change so that there's not this 1% versus 99%, that if you participate in making real change, in making the world a better place because you were in it, as my dad used to say, <laughs> you know, that that, that helps uh, do, you know actually bring about perhaps the spirit of Hanukkah and Christmas, which is about overthrowing imperial power and, uh, and dealing yes. with economic injustice. Yes, absolutely. And um, that's very much what the spirit of Christmas and Hanukkah could and should be. And I think that there are people who want to return to the real spirit of these holidays. But um, again, we're living in a culture that is so addicted to things and to material realities, and <clears throat> so underdeveloped. We are the most underdeveloped country in the world when it comes to yeah. spiritual consciousness, <laughs> and we need, uh, we need help from the people who may be materially underdeveloped in other parts of the world, but who are spiritually way ahead of us. And, um, and one place we can get that help, of course, is from reclaiming the core elements of our um, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, whatever, to reclaiming that from those who have, uh, who have transformed it into agents of support for the dominant powers of our time. We are talking with Rabbi Michael Lerner, editor of Tikkun Magazine and chair of the Network of Spiritual Progressives. I urge you to check them both out on the Internet. I find it it fascinating that there are so-called leading Christian conservatives like Rick Santorum, who is, at this point anyway, running for president, and he's got a fair following, at least in Iowa. These, you know, people who, who talk about how important, you know, the real spirit of Christmas is, uh, how we, you know, we veered so far from, we had to, got to get back to the real uh, roots of Christmas— these are the same people who are calling for war on Iran, starting a war on Iran. 
I I don't get that. Maybe do you have some insight into how you know what kind of Christianity is that? I don't understand. Well, um, I <laughs> I think you'd be better off asking him about that. But I, well. I, I'll tell you that <laughs> um, that uh, that there is, as I said, in part part of everyone a fear uh, a fear based relationship to yes. others yes. that assumes that others are seeking to dominate and control us. That is, that they are fundamentally different than us. We see ourselves or the people that we are closest to as good and decent people, right. but then we come to believe that everybody else is hurtful and desires to dominate and control us. And because of that, um, uh, we then develop political views about how to get power over them mm-hmm. before they get power over us. Hmm. And I think that you find this not only in the Republican Party, True. because the um, uh, the Democrats have their share of people addicted to the war consciousness, the yes. domination consciousness, and and it, it was uh, not the Republicans who escalated the war That's in right. Afghanistan, and uh, it's not the Republicans who have dramatically escalated. The use of drones mm. in the United States, and it is not the Republican uh, Republican president who signed a um, a bill that will a defense bill that right. has as one part of it um, the elimination of habeas corpus yes. uh, uh, um, for um, anybody, including any American citizen right. in the United States who is suspected of being a supporter of terrorism. So. Um, you can't put this on Republicans or Democrats. We have to put it on a certain kind of consciousness. And that consciousness is the consciousness that says that the only way we can achieve safety and security is through domination and control over the other. And as the great philosopher Rocky said to Bullwinkle, that trick never works. Right, and it doesn't. I I I had the chance to know George McGovern a while ago, and he, you know, back then uh, it was all about the big bad communists were the other. And he said we can do more to dry up the swamplands of despair uh, with our economic, uh, uh, agricultural, educational, medical help, technical help, than with all the military hardware in our vast arsenal, and do it far more cheaply as well. He was right. He would have made a great president. I ran across, as I was doing some research, I ran across an interesting article today. I mean, about, you know, we got Democrats and Republicans who are, you know, there's hawks on both sides and, you know, dependent, all of them really, just about, you know, who call themselves, uh, you know, believing Christians and wave that around as much as they possibly can. Uh, There's an interesting quote, if you'll uh, uh, forgive me for just a minute, from former Nebraska Congressman Howard Buffett the father of billionaire Warren Buffett, he said, and he was a Republican, he said, even if it were desirable, America is not strong enough to police the world by military force. If that attempt is made, the blessings of liberty will be replaced by coercion and tyranny at home. Our Christian ideals cannot be exported to other lands by dollars and guns. Persuasion and example are the methods taught by the carpenter of Nazareth. And if we believe in Christianity, we should try to advance our ideals by his methods. We cannot practice might and force abroad and retain freedom at home. We cannot talk world cooperation and practice power politics. Yeah, what a, what a great quote, and so deeply right. Yes. Ab- yeah, that's, 
that's exactly what our message is in Tikkun magazine and in my new book, Embracing Israel-Palestine, where I try to apply the same message to the Middle East. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. And, you know, th- this law that you mentioned, it isn't a law yet. We have to, we the people, have a responsibility. If we care about freedom as opposed to tyranny, we have to oppose that segment of S-1867 is this defense appropriations bill that turns all of America, every inch of America, into a war zone where the military is in charge, not the rule of law, not the law enforcement, but the military is in charge. They can use drones against us, and we do not have habeas corpus. Uh, I feel rather strongly about that. That is there's really uh, some evil stuff there, and some Democrats voted for it as well, and we have to put pressure on uh, the president uh, to not sign that in. Oh, it's it's just terrible. Uh, you know, I had a conversation with a congressman last night, um, actually about the attack on my house uh, that occurred two days ago. No, I don't uh, know. Right wing Zionists, and in oh, the course right. of the conversation, we talked about <clears throat> Obama a little bit, and uh, this congressman said, "Well, you know, uh, he may not be perfect, but he's what we've got." And uh, we have to support him because he's so much better than the other guy. Right. And I said to him, um, you know, um, uh, you may be right, but um, I I look, uh, I imagine that you might have a different conversation when eight years from now or nine years from now, both of us end up in a um, in a prison in which we are imprisoned without trial. And without uh, and for the rest of our lives, without charge. And I'll ask you then if you think that this was such a great um, a great deal we got from uh, from President Obama because it was he who signed the law that allowed uh, uh, people to be put in prison, American citizens to be put in prison without a trial and for the rest of their lives. And again, you know, this comes back to what Christmas and Hanukkah are about, which is standing up to tyranny fighting against tyranny, fighting against imperialism. This is absolutely consistent, in my understanding, of the very nature, the essence of Christmas and Hanukkah, standing up for justice against tyranny. And we're talking about tyranny here. And, and mm-hmm. part, part of this uh, uh, S-Bill uh, 1867 uh, is about suspected terrorists. Now, I'm not sure what a terrorist is. If I give money, as I do, to children's funds to help children in Gaza, maybe that makes me a terrorist in some ways or a terrorist sympathizer. I don't know. I mean, maybe it does. Now, and you mentioned uh, your book, uh, Embracing Israel-Palestine. Maybe you could talk about uh, that a little bit as, uh, you know, it comes to fear of the other and dominating the other. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the the central thesis really is is that um, of my book is that there is no way for Israel to achieve security and justice for itself without simultaneously having Palestine achieve security and justice for itself, and um, that's because the both societies are intrinsically in inextricably bound to the other. And the fate of the one is going to be the fate of the other. There is no way for <clears throat> for Israelis to achieve what they deserve, which is security and safety and uh, a just order of their society, um, when pa- 
Palestine doesn't have it, and the other way around. Palestine will never get that unless Israel also has security. So um, in, what we find is it, that the uh, partisans on both sides think that they can work out a solution that will just work for them and essentially screw the other side. And it's crazy because it will, it will never happen that way. It hasn't happened, and it won't happen that way. Um, and uh, so I'm arguing in this book, what I do is I try to help people come to a, a whole different understanding of what would be in the interest of both peoples. To do that, I start with the early part of this struggle, in, uh, for starting from 1880 on, right up till the summer of 2011, and tell the story in such a way that you've rarely heard it. Namely, I tell it in such a way that you can understand both sides, because both sides have been totally right, and t but they have a legitimate story, and both sides have been uh, in incredibly cruel yeah. and insensitive to the needs of the other. And, and once you realize that, that the truth is, is that you're not going to get um, one side, uh, you're not going to get uh, security for either side until you get it for both sides, then you've got to realize that it's important to tell the story in such a way that you avoid demonizing one and making the other one the righteous uh, victim. And uh, so I do that in the book and then go on to argue that no political settlement is ever going to work unless there is a fundamental change in consciousness on both sides. Interesting. You talk about... Uh, uh uh, a victim, you know, righteous victim. Well, what could be more of a righteous victim story than the story of Jesus and Mary and Joseph? There they were, uh, righteous victims. And I, I find it fascinating that, you know, Jews in America, of which I am part, proud to be part of, we have a tradition of, of liberalism generally, uh, but we veer quite a bit when it comes to the current state of Israel, which has some real hard right-wing people in power. And some of us have been criticized. My house has not been attacked like yours apparently has. Uh, you're a little higher profile than I, and uh, I'm, I'm very sorry about that. But I wonder about some of the uh, uh, right-wing Zionists who, uh, you know, we, we're all supposed to celebrate Hanukkah, and, you know, Hanukkah is to a large extent, against imperialism and against tyranny, supporting the powerless, how far from the roots of Hanukkah have the people who blindly support, no matter what the state of Israel does? How, you know, how far from the roots of Hanukkah really is that? The idea of, you know, that we have to make war on the other than we, as you were saying before, you know, it, we have to take care of ourselves and we want everything for ourselves and nothing for the other guys. And, you know, they, mm -hmm. they, they don't have rights except, you know, they, they have well, to... You know, I, I don't want to make it seem as though um, anybody is the, the, the total bad guy and anybody is the total good guy. Definitely. Um, you know, because uh, our reality is more complicated than that. Well, and... I think all of us have in us um, the same split between fear and hope, between uh, domination and generosity and caring. You know, and um, uh, Hanukkah and Christmas have both been used 
um, in destructive ways, and they've also been used in very loving ways. And um, and um, the state of Israel, in my my view, has a very important uh, uh, role to play for the Jewish people as a homeland, as a security. Um, as the necessary security in a world that has treated us terribly over the course of many thousands of years and has abused the Jewish people. Yes. But at the same time, it doesn't deserve a, um, a blank check and, uh, and the ability to um, act out on others the same cruelty that was acted out on us. We need to uh, be, you know, try to do what is justice, you know, to reach for justice. And you may remember a quote, I don't remember it, but something that Martin Luther King, who was certainly, I think, in the best uh, tradition of Christianity, who seemed to understand what it was about, he said something about the arc of history bends toward justice. Yes, that's exactly what he said. uh, Yeah, and I I absolutely, uh, I have to hope for that. Now, there's been concern over the years, Rabbi Lerner, about Mixing religion and politics. You know, we don't want creches on the state houses, uh, and and people have criticized uh, uh, preachers such as, uh, uh, you know, the, the various right wing preachers. Um, what's his name? Farrell, or uh, I can't even think of his name. Right? Uh, I'm not hearing you exactly. Oh yeah, the the, the criticism of mixing religion with politics. Uh, everything uh, from. Uh, you know, there's, there's people on both sides, on the left and the right, who mix religion and politics. Do you think it's it's okay here in America to to blend the two? Um, yes, uh, I I do not think that the um, that there's any legitimate way to say to religious people that they have no right to bring their religious values into the public arena. Right. Um, because the public arena is filled with other people's values, and religious values are just as legitimate as anybody else's values. The problem is not bringing religious values into the, uh, into the public arena. The problem is, what are those values? Are they good values or bad values? And you have to judge them on the basis, their, not of their source, but on the basis of their content. So, you know, you say religion, keep, if, if somebody says keep religious values out of the public arena... What are they talking about? Martin Luther King was a uh, was a preacher, and every part of the Black Civil Rights Movement um, that uh, that that he was connected with sprang out of church services that would then move into public marches. The issue is not the source that people um, derive their values from, but the content of those values. Is the content one of equality for everyone, or is the content one of racism, sexism, homophobia, or um, xenophobia, fear of the other, hatred of the immigrant, anti-Semitism, anti-Islam? What's the content of your religious belief? And it's that, rather than trying to fight against the right of people to have their their, their politics based in their religious belief, which they have the absolute right to do, and nobody has the right to tell them not, because the First Amendment says that the state should not interfere with the rights of individuals to pursue their religious values. And if their religious values tell them that they should bring those values in the, into the public sphere, sure, why, well, let them bring those values into the public sphere. The problem is that then we challenge the bad values. Mm-hmm. But um, the peace movement has been always 
<clears throat> got in a great deal of support from a section of the religious uh, left. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing. Because that, those religious people believe that their religion has led them to a path for peace and social justice. I'm for that. Other people believe that the religion has led them to a path of, um, of, for war and inequality. I'm against that. But I'm not against it because they said it's based in their religion. Right. I'm against it because the content of their values are, are hurtful and disgusting and, in my view, um, a, uh, a violation of what uh, any god in the universe would want. It does seem pretty clear to me that it is about the content. And uh, <clears throat> it does. I wonder also, you know, about uh, religious people, Christians and Jews, uh, you know, have really been happy to go kind of in the opposite direction from Hanukkah and Christmas. They, you know, everything's nice on Christmas. People are nice to one another for at least a morning. <laughs> but then, you know, how much both Jews and Christians in America have have been supporting uh, hierarchies and, uh, you know, how we've moved from the tradition of, of justice on both religions to instead serving the powerful the ultra-nationalists, and the war profiteers. I wonder, you know, how that has happened, really? Is it just because of fear? And, and I wonder if it's gotten worse. It does seem to me that people are all too eager to both celebrate Christmas and Hanukkah and support, you know, the war profiteers, the ultra-nationalists, the, uh, the 1% that has driven this country uh, pretty much into the ground economically. Yeah. No, it's, it's terrible. Um... And how do how do we get here? How do we get here? You know, in terms of the the roots in Christmas and Hanukkah, and I wonder if it's gotten worse lately. It does seem worse to me than than it did when I was growing up in the fifties. I have to say. <laughs> well, you know, um, it, it the power of the media um, to uh, shape people's consciousness is certainly far greater today than it's ever been, and um, so in that sense, it's worse. On the other, it's much more pervasive. It's much harder to have a um, uh, a counter discourse and a counter um, opportunity to share an alternative worldview. Um, that's so. So um, <clears throat> the more sophisticated the mind control people are, the easier it is for um, for them to manipulate consciousness and to uh, for people to lose a sense of. Um, of their own inner ethical and spiritual voices that are that would tell them that the um, the goal of life is not to accumulate, that the goal of life is to love, and that the highest value is not how many toys you uh, accumulate before you die, mm-hmm. but rather um, how much love and caring and generosity you've been part of, and what framework of higher meaning and purpose for your life you've been able to achieve. Um, now, having said that, I don't want to um, romanticize the past either, because the truth of the matter is that um, when the uh, when um, the Maccabees fought against the Greeks, it was the same battle, and when Jesus was struggling against the Ro- Rome and Rome's sympathizers amongst some of the, the Jewish elite. Um, it was the same struggle. It's the same struggle that's been going on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And it's the same struggle that now is manifested 
in the struggle by the Occupy movement against the um, against those who are trying to dominate and control the society and have so many instruments of power and control on their side mm-hmm. that it seems to the rest of us often as if there's no point in the struggle and so we might as well side with the powerful since we're not uh, since we're not going to change anything. And this has been going on for a very, very long time. This is the, the latest uh, embodiment of a thousands of years old struggle between uh, the, the spirit of God that is in us and the spirit of fear uh, that is within us. Fascinating uh, juxtaposition there. I think that's pretty clear. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. We're talking with Rabbi Michael Lerner, editor of Tikkun Magazine and chair of the Network of Spiritual Progressives, author of 11 books, including the new one, Embracing Israel-Palestine. We're talking about the spirit of Christmas and Hanukkah. How might, in this, you know, if, if we really embodied the spirit of Christmas and Hanukkah in many different areas, what would a foreign policy look like? I want to ask you about a few specific areas. Say, if you had the, the ethos in this, of the spirit of Christmas and Hanukkah in foreign policy, what might that look like? Well, one thing I want to say is that um, that I do try to lay this out some in my my new book, Embracing Israel-Palestine, and that people can get hold of that either through uh, contacting us directly, tikkun.org, and, um, and, uh, and on our website at www.tikkun.org, T-I-K-K-U-N.org, you'll find a, a link to... Um, to the book Embracing Israel-Palestine, and you can order it there. You can also get it through Amazon.com. It's on Kindle, and uh, you can also get your local bookstore to order enough copies so that other people can see it as well as you, and that, that's even better if you can get your bookstore to do that. They can order it through Random House distributors. Okay. Um, so, um, but <clears throat> what I say there... I mean, I can summarize very, very briefly is that we need to move from a strategy of domination to a strategy of generosity, that the only way to achieve homeland security, the, the current view of homeland security is we can get there through domination and control of our others. So if we put, and we have a thousand bases around the world, a thousand bases of American military around the world, and um uh, and we have this fantasy that we can achieve what we need to achieve through domination of the world, either directly through our military or indirectly through economic, cultural, or political methods, what they call soft domination, soft power. Um, and um, look, it doesn't work. Uh, you can just look at today's newspaper. Right. Um, uh, I'm, I'm talking today... Uh, in uh, the end of December, and you look at today's newspapers, and it turns out that days after the United States uh, withdraws from Iraq, um, and um, after having lost uh, thousands and thousands of Americans, and tens of thousands of Americans deeply wounded or uh, disabled for life, um, hundreds of thousands, if not more, of Iraqis murdered in this war, and uh, and millions of Iraqis displaced from their home and made into uh, refugees. And what happens? Uh, a few days after our troops go out, um, 
the 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 uh, authority that we've set up there suddenly decides to revert to the uh, the the same warfare, the same kind of demeaning of the other that had led to the uh, to the struggle between Sunnis and Shias and Kurds that we thought we were going to settle by staying in Iraq after uh, our first three months in which we had overthrown the dictator. So it's crazy. You cannot achieve um, what you want in the way of the world by domination and control. You may be able to repress it temporarily, but you can't keep that going forever. So, and, and so the alternative is, a, is, uh, is one that has worked for most people and for most countries, which is instead of trying to dominate others, they try a spirit of generosity and caring for others. And that's what we need to do in the United States. And that's why I lay out there in some, uh, some information about the uh, a global Marshall Plan that, <clears throat> that Tikkun has developed and that, is, that you can find in detail at the website called spiritualprogressives.org, spiritualprogressives.org. At that, uh, the network of spiritual progressives is, an, uh, is our outreach organization for Tikkun Magazine. It's our education organization, and we've developed in this uh, network of spiritual progressives a plan for a global Marshall Plan that is based on generosity as the strategy for 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 homeland security instead of domination. That global Marshall Plan has been introduced to Congress. Um, by Congressman Keith Ellison oh. of Minneapolis uh-huh. as House Resolution 157. So it's right now in the Committee of the Foreign Policy, the Foreign Policy Committee of the House. Now, of course, it doesn't stand a chance there right. uh, with the current um, political configuration. And so sometimes when people look at um, what we are for, what Tikkun is for, and what the Network of Spiritual Progressives is for, they say, well, is this naive or is it unrealistic? Right. Right. And um, because what we are basically for is this. We are for the caring society, caring for each other and caring for the earth. That's what we're about. And so um, people say, well, that's very sweet, but it's totally unrealistic. You'll, you'll never get a society like that. And I say back to them, you know what? Um, it looked like uh, when women came forward and asked for um, a society that was not based on patriarchy 30 to 40 years ago, everybody said the same thing to them. Forget it. There's been 10,000 years of patriarchy. But because they were refused to be realistic, they made tremendous transformations in our society, and nobody today would say to them, forget it. Forget about equality. Forget about a different kind of society. Similarly, when gays and lesbians said, we want the same rights as, white, uh, as, um, as heterosexuals. Most people said, forget it. But now, um, uh, nearly 20 to 30 years after they began the struggle, um, you have uh, um, in the military. Yep. You've got some states uh, that are giving full rights <laughs> of marriage to gays, sure. uh, gays and lesbians. All this was inconceivable. Why, um, it was unrealistic. How do you know? Why is that? Because realism is always defined by the powerful in terms of the, of the current existing reality. And they try to convince us to accept what is as the only way things can be. 
Whereas, as I said at the beginning, believing in God is believing that that which uh, that there is a force in the universe that makes possible the transformation from that which is to that which ought to be. And so we see over and over again that that spirit of God that got embodied in Hanukkah, that got embodied in Christmas, that spirit of God can be embodied in us. You don't have to believe in God in order to be embodiment of that God energy. You can be an atheist. You can be agnostic. Who cares? What I care about is do you act as though the world is fixed or do you act as though the world can be fundamentally transformed? And so the realists are unrealistic. And the only way to get the kind of world that you want is to fight for it, because you never know. You know, some of them say, look, politics is the art of the possible. Mm. But, and I say back, yes, but you will never know what is possible until you put your full life energies into struggling for what is desirable. You will never know what is possible until you put your full life energies into supporting that uh, which is desirable and which ought to be. And that's why we're asking people to come join the network of spiritual progressives at spiritualprogressives.org to uh, subscribe to Tikkun Magazine at tikkun.org to become part of our movement because you don't have to believe in God. You don't have to be, you can be an atheist or agnostic. But if you want a new bottom line in the world, and say we call for a new bottom line, but instead of judging institutions, social practices to be efficient, rational, and productive to the extent that they maximize money and power, we say judge them efficient, rational, and productive also to the extent that they maximize love and caring, kindness and generosity, ethical and ecological sensitivity, enhance our capacity to respond to other human beings as embodiments of the sacred, and enhance our capacity to respond to the universe with awe, wonder, and radical amazement at the grandeur of all that is. So this is uh, what the tikkun is about. This is what the network of spiritual progressives are about. And that's why I'm asking um, people uh, who are listening, if, if anything I've said makes sense to you, Join the network of spiritual progressives at spiritualprogressives.org. Subscribe to Tikkun Magazine at tikkun.org and become part of this because we can transform this world if we are willing to accept that the it's not going to happen from above, that it's ordinary people, right. power, relatively powerless people like you and me and the others who are listening who can get together and transform this world. But that means overcoming our isolation. It means Fear. working together. It means donating money. It means donating time. It means taking, go for your highest vision of the good. And that's the ultimate of what we say. Do not be realistic. Don't waste your time on this planet <laughs> accepting the current bounds of realism. Fight for your highest vision of the good. Fight for what you really believe in and join us. I got to say, there's a wonderful quote from Albert Einstein who said, uh, if an idea is not seen as absurd at first, it has of no value. It has of no value. And here we are at Christmas and Hanukkah, and you look at kids, there's this magic when they light the lights, bringing back the lights, you know, the festival of lights, bringing back the light. It seems impossible. It's this little magic, which is magic is about the fantasy of wonderfully impossible things. And somehow working to make them happen. And that, that's, it seems to me that's entirely consistent with what I understand to be the spirit of, of Christmas and Hanukkah. Thank you. Exactly right. 
Thank you that's, very that's much. What that's what it's about. It's about going for for um, for the miracle and recognizing that the that what we consider the miracle is what actually is uh, the only possible way to live is to to embrace the miracles and to make them happen. Make them happen. Thank you so much. Rabbi Michael Lerner, you've got the message about uh, Tikkun Magazine and Network of Spiritual Progressives. Thanks so much for being with us. Bye-bye. Instead of one day of presents, we have eight crazy nights. <laughs> when you feel like the only kid in town without a Christmas tree, here's a list of people who are Jewish, just like you and me. <laughs> Lights the menorah So do James Conn, Kirk Douglas and the late Dinah Shora Guess who eats together at the Carnegie Deli Bowser from Shanana and Arthur Fonzarelli <laughs> Paul Newman's half Jewish Goldie Hawn's half too Put them together What a fine looking Jew Seattle Supersonicas celebrate Hanukkah. O.J. Simpson, not a Jew. <laughs> but guess who is? Hall of Famer Rod Carew. He converted. We got Ann Landers and her sister, dear Abby. Harrison Ford's a quarter Jewish, not too shabby. <laughs> Some people think that Ebenezer Scrooge is. Well, he's not, but guess who is? All three Stooges. So drink your gin and tonica and smoke your marijuana. If you really, really want to go, have a happy, 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 happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah.